This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, uh, his latest book on uh, Yogananda. We'll talk more about that in our discussion. Our guest today, Mirabai Bush, uh, she teaches, practices, and develops programs through the application of contemplative pr principles and values to organizational life. She is co-founder of the Center for Contemplative Mind in Society, founder, founding member of the Saber Foundation, and co-author with Ram Das of Compassion in Action. Uh, her latest book, Walking Each Other Home, uh, Mirabai Bush co-authored that book with Ram Das, and that's what we'll focus on today. Thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today, oh, Mirabai. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Mirabai, you've been uh, a spiritual activist for more than 40 years now. You have a, a broad uh, perspective and a lot of experience to share. Maybe we can begin by briefly uh, filling in the uh, audience on the the sort of roots of your own spiritual life. And in that context, tell us how you came to know Ram Dass, since we're going to be talking about the book you did together. Great. Oh, okay. Uh, in 1970, I had been in graduate school from 67 to 70, which was a very turbulent time on campuses. I was very involved in civil rights work and anti-war work. And... Um, things started being hard to understand, really chaotic, <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't find a way in this culture that seemed to be sane. So with a friend then, um, I traveled overland uh, from across uh, Europe and the Middle East and into India, and um, I went not really knowing at all what I was looking for, just like somehow thinking there must be a way of knowing and living on this planet that was saner and more compassionate and made more sense than what was going on in this country. So um, I got to India, uh, and just after I got there, a, a couple of days, I met uh, Sharon Salzberg on the street in New Delhi. We had both been at the same school, but we hadn't known each other there. And um, But we met, and she told me that there was a meditation retreat for in Bodh Gaya by a Burmese Buddhist teacher, who was Goenka, um, being taught for the first time for Westerners. And I could go. Uh, and so I did. And uh, with very little commitment to it, really. I just thought, I'm in India. You know, this sounds cool. So um, I went, and uh, there I met Ramdas and many other people, interestingly, at that, at that very first course who became, um, you know, leaders in, in what became a spiritual movement later on. Um, Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and Danny Goleman and Krishna Das and Ram Das and others, and um, so uh, so I met Ram Das there, and we we stayed for that first course, which is a ten day meditation course, and we all none of us had done anything like that before, and we just, we just loved it. I mean, it opened up such possibilities about an expanded sense of what it meant to be human 
I think we all were just, we loved it. And so we stayed for more. We stayed for three or four courses in a row. And um, Goenka kept agreeing to teach them, taught one underneath the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya. Wow. And um, then uh, after that, I traveled with Ram Dass uh, and met Neem Karoli Baba, who was his guru, who he had written about and be here now. Well, uh, Mirabai, <clears throat> at that time, uh, when, uh, which is about the same time I started meditation, 1970, uh, but in, the United, in New York City, you're in India, uh, totally different environment. Uh, everything, uh, first time anybody's in India, uh, it, it excites all the senses. Uh, sometimes it frightens all the senses. But when you were there, uh, w- y- your book, uh, Walking Each Other Home, you focus on, on loving and on dying, on transition. Uh, did either of those issues <coughs> get stirred up at that time or are those uh, issues something that you reflected on more later in life after many years of spiritual practice? Well, both. Um, certainly, um, but when I began to meditate, I began to you know, awaken loving kindness and compassion through practice. Um, and, uh, and then with my guru, Neem Karoli Baba, his, his basic message, he, he spoke very little. Many people know his stories mm-hmm. from uh, hearing them from Ramdas, but he spoke very little, and he didn't actually teach us any practices like yoga or meditation. It was a practice, the practice was being with him, sitting with him, and occasionally he would say things, and what he would often say was, love everyone and serve everyone, and you don't have to worry about anything else. And so um, I took that as a life instruction, and when I came home, you know, tried to interpret it in terms of what do you do in this country? How do you, you know, how do you be loving in livelihood, in parenting, in relationships, in, and so on? Um, so, yeah, I've paid attention to the directive to love everyone from from that beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, and Ram does too, of course, and um, and then, you know, I don't think you can really begin to do these contemplative practices without engaging our mortality, and so, you know, from the beginning, awareness of death. All teachers say, oh, holding an awareness of death, letting go of your fears of death, um, are what help you open up and become fully present. Mm-hmm. So they were there from the beginning. But, of <clears throat> course, um, I'm 79 now. Um, death is a... <laughs> and Ram Dass is 86. He's, a, he's 87. He's, huh? it, death becomes a more interesting subject. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shifting to, to the book, you know, now that we're on death... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> the the format is largely conversations between you and Ramdas. Mm-hmm. Why the decision to use that format, and how how did the book come about? Well, it came about because uh, he'd been thinking about, and we. I'm also on the board of Love Serve Remember, which is 
the foundation that's committed to uh, to continuing um, Neem Karoli Baba's teachings and Ram Dass's teachings. And we were looking at, you know, as as you both know, Ram Dass, when he started speaking in, like, 1964, um, never stopped. So <laughs> there we have, I mean, a million hours of content on old, you know, tapes and um, uh, every format. Um, he, back in the day, he would be able to, he'd be able to give a five-hour talk with no notes, and everybody would be completely wrapped. Um, and uh, so he, he and we thought it would be a good idea to put together all his teachings on dying. Um, that now that many of our friends are starting to die, we thought mm-hmm. it would be a really nice thing to have a slim volume of his his words on death that people could have with him. Um, but um, we began putting it together, just putting together what he had done in the past. And um, he read it, and, well, he first asked me to work with him on it, and I did, and he said, but I want, I want you to be part of this. So I said, well, I'll write a long introduction, and I wrote an introduction about our relationship and um, uh, how we'd met and what we'd done together over the years. And um, then he read the whole thing and said, it was so cute, he said, I like your part better than my part. <laughs> but I, what he meant really was, you know, it had, it was of the present moment, and he'd read all his words before, and they were a little, you know, they were a little dry for him. And also, although he's been talking about it since Be Here Now, writing about it, I was amazed when I went back into Be Here Now, and it's kind of all there. Yeah. But, um, but of course, now, having lived a full life and gone through lots of pain and suffering and lived to quite an old age, considering that he had a massive stroke 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, he knows about it. He holds it in a whole different way than when he was just writing about it when he was much younger. So knowing all that and recognizing that he has aphasia from the stroke, and often there are long silences, and often he talks in fragments, and uh, and it seems to be good for him to be in conversation because it wakes up certain things that he wants to remember and say. So we just thought, well, maybe this will be, this is the best way we talk about these things with each other now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that maybe we could do that as a book. And so that's what we did. And I was really happy with how how it seemed to be just the right format, given all the conditions. Right. Mirabai, in the book, uh, you say to Ram Das, uh, you didn't age the way most people did. You were aged by the stroke. And he goes on to say, I became a, a, a soul after the stroke. So obviously, a uh, major life event, and here is a very spiritual human being who takes it to the next step because of that event. Uh, how do you advise somebody who, even a person who's been deeply involved in spiritual practice most of, much of their life, uh, to make that next step, that next transition to become a soul uh, without necessarily having a stroke or heart attack or some major event like that in their life? How do they they jump to yeah. that? Well, I think Ram Dass has always t- 
taught or encouraged others to take life as a teaching, you know. Right. Um, and uh, he wrote a book called Grist for the Mill. Everything that happens is grist for the mill. And that's always been true for him. He's always learned from from everything that he's gone through in his life, and he's talked about and shared that way of of coming into knowing. Um, but when he had this stroke, I mean, that was so... He had a pretty charmed life before that, it, even though he was fired from Harvard. He, at the time, thought that that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, he... But when the stroke came, it took away so much of what he valued. He could no longer speak like he used to. He couldn't, he's paralyzed on one side. He can't even walk. And so he couldn't do any of the physical things that he used to love to do. He had to give up driving and, you know, it couldn't travel anymore. Um, so uh, it was really hard for him. And, um, and it was doubly hard because he was always before that, he'd always been busy saying, whatever comes your way, just, you know, work with it and accept it and know that um, it's your karma. Um, but when this happened, he really struggled. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Mickey Lemley made a film about it called mm-hmm. Fierce Grace. It's a great film. Yeah, yeah, great it, film. Yeah, good both, film, both and it's yep. a great title because mm-hmm. um, that's what he, that's what Ram Dass came to understand that even, or maybe especially, this most difficult thing that he had to go through and accept and come to terms with, that is how he learned the most. Mm-hmm. Just surrendering, like letting go of who he thought he was, um, of most of which was this ego and this body, and most of what was left was his spirit, his soul. Mm-hmm. And um, he... I think that is such a radical message. I mean, I've just been with so many people who've, like, gotten cancer or lost a a loved one or gone through the really most difficult things in life. And the idea of accepting those difficulties as grace is really radical. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we just, you know, take that as a message and work with it, um, it's... It, amazing things happen. Great. Um, Mirabai, the book, Walking Each Other Home, uh, covers essentially two aspects of, of death and dying. One is the death of people close to you, losing loved ones and therefore uh, the subject of grief, being with people who are dying, uh, and then, of course, um, dealing with the prospect of and uh, the imminence of, of our own death. Uh, if we can cover, you know, some uh, in the short time we have, some some advice and some uh, themes mm-hmm. about both of those. Let's let's start with being with other people. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is that being with someone who's dying could be uh, a sadhana, a spiritual yeah. practice. Say something about that and and grief. Well, I realized as I started getting older, I, th- I just assumed once I became, I don't know, 60, 70, that I would somehow know more about dying than I did when I was younger. But, you know, we don't, it's very hard to learn about it. <laughs> and, when, and especially in this culture where it's so repressed and hidden. 
So um, one of the very few ways we really, I mean, we learn from practicing, and we learn from, you know, great teachers and their teachings. But one of the most intimate ways we learn from about it is by being with someone who's dying. Right. And uh, just what, being with what, it, it's pretty nonverbal, with experiencing, you know, at a distance, but still what they're going through, and then experiencing that ineffable experience of uh, when a person's soul or spirit leaves their body, the moment after they're not here anymore at, in their body is so profound. Um, I have only been with a couple of people who've died, but I really, I mean, it it affected me very deeply. Mm-hmm. And so I think just um, uh, being with people and then after people die, just feeling the way in which they are present within you you know, and how I was just giving a reading in Santa Lita with, and Norman Fisher came and we had a discussion. Norman Fisher's a Zen teacher in San Francisco. And um, we had a discussion about it. And he told the story of how a good friend of his, Alan Liu, who's a rabbi and a Zen teacher, uh, when he died unexpectedly. And, and uh, Norman said, um, you know, he said, I realized something after Alan died. When you're dead, you can't do things anymore. <laughs> and he said, I know there were things Alan still wanted to do, and and there were ways in which he wanted things done. And so I noticed that I started doing those things. I just thought that was such a great way to think about the way in which, you know, our dear ones inhabit us after um after they die. Right. So there's just so much to be learned <clears throat> from being close to people who are dying. Right. And then grieving, <clears throat> I mean, I think um, we write pretty much about grieving in there, but the basic message is that, you know, everybody grieves differently. The timing is different for everybody. You can't, it's important not to blame yourself for feeling like you're grieving too long or, um, or maybe you think you're not grieving enough, or and then grieving often, you know, it, it it's intense and then it may calm down for a while and then surprisingly it comes back in a different form. It's just really self-compassion so important through it. Yeah, Mirabai, Can I follow up? Yeah, go ahead. This with one thing. Yeah. What advice would you give uh, to people uh-huh. who are dealing with? The imminent death of a of a loved one, not just, not at post death, but during that process. How could they help uh, the the process for the dying? Well, be, being uh, being with the dying person, or really even at a distance, the, our role um, as in walking each other home is um, just Ramdas calls it being a loving rock. Mm. Which I really love. Um, it's just being sitting next to the bed or in your way of relating to the person at a distance, of just being there, being open, being loving, not trying to lay on any uh, like preconceived ideas about how a person should die. Um, just being there as this human companion and being as loving as possible. And, of course... Um, 
especially if you're there for some time sitting with someone, you know, it's a practice. So you have to keep letting go and letting go of, mm-hmm. you know, ideas and thoughts <clears throat> and opinions and fears that come into your own mind, just letting go and coming back into your heart and just being there with that person. Right. So that's really what they need. Uh, Mir- Mirabai, uh, I spoke to a hospice worker recently, and she has a sp- specific spiritual angle, and she's uh, very, very good at what she does. And w- one of the things she said was, and this comes up in the book, uh, and, and that is she said in the 19th century, nobody talked about sex, but everybody talked about dying. In the 20th and 21st century, uh, everybody talks about sex, but nobody wants to talk about dying. And it says in the book, not everybody's ready to talk about dying. Uh, how important is it, that, or, or is it a cultural sort of uh, a sign of uh, an unhealthy culture when people aren't uh, able to comfortably discuss death, even when they're young and healthy, but moving forward. And, and I, every once in a while, I'll bring uh, up dying to a friend and I'll say, don't, don't talk to me about that. And, and I have my own fears with it. I'm not totally healthy when it comes to that, uh, that as well. But, but uh, how important do you think it is that we, we, we culture an attitude where we can actually seriously discuss the death and dying? Well, very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I didn't really talk about it all that much before starting to work on this book either. But I really, um, a couple of things, that um, it's really, you've probably known people, I have family members and so on, they don't want to talk about dying, especially as they age, you mm-hmm. know. They don't want to talk about dying. And, and, and even as they're getting close, you know, people don't want to bring it up. People are lying mm-hmm. there in stage four cancer, and no one wants to bring it up. But the truth is that there are there are things to do in this life before you die that will make your dying so much more peaceful and will leave behind a much more compassionate legacy for others. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, a lot of that is like... Um, Settling things at every level, you know, from your will mm-hmm. to your broken relationships. And, uh, you know, letting go, forgiving, giving up regrets. All of that is really important for, um, for a peaceful death. And, um, you know, if you don't talk about it, it takes time to do those things. And um, uh, so it's really good to start talking about it early. Also, um, I found that in uh, in working on this book, which I didn't initiate, Ramdas asked me to do it with him. Um, but spending a couple of years talking about it, it was so great. I mean, we just made this this intention and commitment to each other. Okay, we want to put in this book what we know now, what we really know, and what we don't know, and not like lean on what we've said so many times before. And so we just would have these sessions in his room. It was just like going into your room with one of your best friends and saying, okay, let's just talk about what's true and real for us and nothing else. And so we did that. And so I really got to, um, you know, pay attention to death. And then after the sessions, you know, I'd go for walks or, or whatever and let it, you know, go through me so that, uh, and so I didn't have a lot of huge fears. Uh, I didn't have anything really specific, anybody like I had never forgiven or, um, but still, 
you know, yes, of course, there were, like, edges around it that I just saw, like, softened and released. And um, I just, since that time, there have been a few deaths in my life of people I really care about. And I noticed that I'm just much I'm much easier with it, which means I'm able mm-hmm. to be much more present and helpful <laughs> if it's called for um, and than I was before. So I say all that to say that m- that experience of paying attention to death, talking about it, reading about it, you know, being with it, meditating with it, uh, has really helped me, and I think it could help all of us. Mm-hmm. One of the things you say in the book, or both of you, is that if you know how to live, you know how to die. Um, what did you mean by that, and, and uh, maybe elaborate on it? I, you know, if you live um, in a way that tries to avoid creating suffering and tries to help relieve suffering in the world, if you work toward leading a loving and compassionate life, um, caring about others, being honest and uh, as honest as possible, and um, uh, letting go of what is unnecessary, paying attention to um, what what you are really here to do at this moment, you know, what you're being called to do, what the world is calling for and what you can contribute. Um, If you lead, commit yourself to leading that kind of life with all the, you know, mistakes and failures and so on, um, that you will enter that stage of those stages of death with, um, you know, with an open heart, in peacefulness, um, in a, that I think is really all you can do to prepare yourself for uh, whatever is next. Great. Uh, Mirabai, I have one final question for you, and then we'll send it over to Phil. Uh, what do you think happens when somebody dies? Well, I know that I don't know. I strongly feel that mm-hmm. something happens. That, that I just feel so in touch with, you know, with a spirit within me that does not feel like it is going to die. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's been expressed in so many ways in so many different traditions, but that feels really clear to me. And I, of all the, of all the different um, thoughts in, in the religious and spiritual traditions about what comes next, I feel most like there will be multiple births and that there have been before. That feels right to me. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know, and I'm really aware that I don't know. And having grown up Catholic, you know, as a Catholic girl from pre, I mean always, but I went to Catholic school from preschool through Georgetown graduate school. Judges. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and <clears> so, <throat> like, you know, and you need to know. Things, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I grew up Catholic, um, I, yeah, I, I understand, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, I'm just, I may be holding on to the idea of not knowing because I'm something of a revolutionary, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's what I think. 
Uh, Ram Dass is much more. He's sure, pretty mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> yeah, he seems to have a strong conviction in the yeah. uh, sort of uh, traditional Eastern concept of reincarnation. Um, yeah. My... That that leads to another question I have. When I, like most of us who are aging, think about death, I find myself not afraid of death. I have a strong conviction, like Ram Dass does, or based on my own experience, that something will survive in some way or another, my body. Um, what I do fear is the dying process and pain and suffering. Uh-huh. Um, how much does that enter into uh, what Ramdas had to say about the the process in the book, and how do you deal with that fear? Well, we, you know, none of us like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible with pain, and I haven't had that much of it in my life, but I've had enough to know I don't like it. Right. And um, but uh, but the truth is now. So I just went through the death of someone uh, who had a, um, a form of thyroid cancer that could have been very painful. Um, but, you know, they manage pain now so well that really I, I'm guessing that most of us are not going to have a lot of pain before we die. And Ramdas talks about ways to manage pain, hmm. um, practices to manage pain. Um, and it is true, you know, in Buddhism they say that the suffering is what happens to us, but, I mean, the pain is what happens to it, but the suffering is our response to the pain, which mm-hmm. makes it worse. But, um, uh, and he does talk about practices, and I know John kabat used to tell me that he could go to the dentist without Novocaine, because he used mindfulness, but I have never <laughs> do those things. But but there are ways to be with it to relax your your um, your panic about it, and then there are uh, ways to. Um, I'm sorry. Um, there are ways to manage it. So I think we can tell ourselves that and get past that, so that we can look at what you know what it is about dying that is really important to us, and then you know. It's true that we may have pain, and we'll just have to deal with it. Right, right. Uh, the book "Walking Each Other Home: Conversations on Loving and Dying," Ram Das and Mirabai Bush. Uh, any final uh, questions you have, Phil, and any final comments, uh, Mirabai? No, I would invite Mirabai to uh, leave us with uh, any final bits of wisdom she'd like to share on this very important topic? Well, I would just say, you know, whatever practices you do that allow you to let go of what's, you know, agitating the mind moment to moment, um, do them and allow yourself to rest in your heart more often and then allow whatever fears you've got to arise. And, um, you know, you can, you, you're given all of this because you can handle it. You just need to uh, give yourself the space um, and compassion to look at it. And, and then I'd like to add a, a, that um, 
the book is we did an audio version of the book. It's available. It's available on CDs from Sounds True. Although I don't know anybody who has a CD player. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also you can download it, and it's re- it, for some people. It's really nice to listen to it, and we do have practices um, that you know uh, guided practices on there, um, and. Um, there's a beautiful poem by John O'Donoghue on grieving that's also included. So, is it just your voice, or is Ramdas's voice? Ramdas reads the preface in which he talks about why we did the book this way and why mm-hmm. he couldn't do talk, speak in full paragraphs anymore. And, mm-hmm. and then I read the rest of it. Great, fantastic, that's great. Thanks for adding that again. Uh, walking each other home, we'll have uh, all that information up. Ramdas and Mirmai. Bush, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on. And, I love uh, talking to you both. Oh, I'm well, honored. We thank will you. have to do it again. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Mirabai.